to be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. How many of us are convinced that life is filled with challenges and battles? Anyone convinced of that? About seven hands went up. The rest of y'all, are y'all alive or are you awake? How many of us are convinced through personal experience that life is filled with challenges and battles? Whoo! You see, we live in a world where things happen, stuff. We live in a world where things break. We live in a world where things go wrong. Now, the probability is if I were to ask for testimonies of things that have not worked well this week, that have broken, that have gone wrong, etc., we'd have a line from here all the way out the door ready to testify. Am I correct on that? Did anybody have this week a perfect week? Keith is the only one to raise his hand. You know, but they've been away on a conference. No one had a perfect week. No one had a week. What about a day? Maybe we can even get it down to a minute, (laughs) maybe a minute. But the serious fact is this, life is filled with problems, difficulties, battles, assaults, you name it, we're experiencing it. And that's just the normal activities of life. And then once in a while, all hell breaks out. Is it okay to say hell in the church? Once in a while, you know, I'm going through my normal days, the normal things of the day, okay, no, no, no. And then, all of a sudden, a bomb goes off. Literally, all hell breaks out. Where did that come from? What's going on? You remember when we went through 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and we'll be going back to the letter of Peter next week. Remember in chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 Peter, we learn that God's purpose is the refining of our faith. He says, don't be surprised. God is refining your faith. But you see, God has a purpose. The refining of our faith, but there's someone else who has a purpose. And his purpose is Not the refining of our faith, but the destruction of our faith. The undermining of our faith through these various trials and difficulties. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. A man who was thoroughly familiar with the battles of life. If you're not sure about that, Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I think it's verses 23 to 28, and read some of the experiences that he had as a man of God promoting the gospel and living in righteousness. Listen to what he says to the church. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're living in a fleshly normal world. We are not waging war. All of a sudden, 
we're living in a normal world, but then we're waging war. You see, he doesn't mince words and he doesn't take time to kind of develop the thing. He just says, we're in a war. And we're not waging war according to the flesh, according to our own abilities and our own intelligence and our own giftings. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful. King James says, to the pulling down of strongholds, to destroy strongholds. And so you remember that we're in a war, but guess what? There's hope. There's hope. The same man had that said, I'm in a war, and I've been going through this, 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 and I'm constantly under the attack of the enemy. The same man who knew more probably than all of us about spiritual warfare, its effect, its debilitating activity and purpose in us. That same man also said this, I have fought the good fight and I have kept the faith. Two purposes. Strike Miller, where are you? Craig, where are you? I know you're here, stand up. This is Craig Strike Miller. Now, this man can tell us something of what we've just said. He has experienced over the last how many years? Four and a half years. Two and a half years. I don't hear well. You have to yell. Two and a half years. Stand up. He has experienced battling. I was afraid he's going to sit down. It's not that he's that short. He has experienced battling a killer cancer. And he can tell you that there are two issues here as he has walked through this. And by the way, the last diagnosis was that you're still cancer-free. Amen. But there are two issues. Craig has and continues to learn this. God has wonderfully used these two years to give you experiences of his presence, of his power, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his patience, of his faithfulness, of his love, et cetera, et cetera. Has he done that, Craig? He's been refining you. But then at the same time, may I say it again, at the same time, Craig has had to do awesome, continual battling against the attacks of the enemy. Have you not? Have you not had to do both simultaneously? Submitting yourself to God and allowing him to refine you. And at the same time as you are submitting to God, being thankful for what he is doing and how he is bringing you through this and revealing himself, you have and continue to need to do battle against an adversary whose purpose is to destroy you. Is this correct? Thank you. You may be seated.
Now you say, that's Craig. There is a more dangerous attack against Craig than it is cancer, than cancer is. And that is the spiritual attack against him and every one of us that seeks to destroy the faith, undermine our faith, do whatever Satan can that will cause us great spiritual harm. And that's more dangerous than any cancer, any heart attack, or anything at all. Because we're talking about eternal and godly things. We have hope. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. How did he do it? He did it, and he will explain to us this morning by wearing the armor of God. Father, this is a daunting task. How to communicate something so significant and so personally, persistently important. Father, we pray that your spirit will minister mightily today. And Father, even though this word will go quickly through the issue, Father, would you alert us to the imminent danger? Father, would you cause us to recognize what we can do to be protected? Father, would you move us to agree with you to cooperate and to do what you tell us to do? Father, would you take all that is happening in our lives and refine us while at the same time preparing and teaching in such a way that we are not allowing these attacks, these trials to undermine our faith, but that through it all, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight I have kept the faith. Father, would you do that in us this morning in a deeper way? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be turning to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. This is the section of Scripture that we'll be dealing with. And I'm not going to read the whole thing now. I will go through it piece by piece if you would. So let's look at the first several verses, verses 10 to 13. You see... The Apostle Paul knows something, and he knows what each one of us had better begin to come to a realization of if we are weak in this area. And he knows this, that we as the children, as the people of God, are in a life and death struggle against a supernatural and malevolent being who is set on our destruction. Now, if you don't get anything else this morning, at least be aware that life's difficulties are not just things that happen, but that there is a master supernatural mind, malevolent being behind these attacks, these trials, whose purpose is to destroy, to shipwreck that which God is doing in us. And we have to know about this, and we have to be ready and prepared to be able to stand against it and overcome these attacks. 
Be ready for this. Be prepared for this. Know that this is correct. Don't be one of those people who say, I don't believe in the devil. Because if you don't believe in the devil, then why believe in Jesus at all? Because he spoke about a personal devil. And if there is no personal devil, then Jesus was just ignorant or he lied or something, and we have a real problem. There is a, a devil as surely as there is a God. And as surely as God is for us, the enemy is against us. So you see, in order for us to experience the kind of victory that Paul talks about, he knows that we need to be able to stand in and be armed with a stronger power than the power of the enemy. And so he begins to instruct the Ephesian church by emphasizing the place and power of our ability and our victory. He begins where we need to begin, not with the armor specifically, but with the entire attitude, our place, and our power for victory. Listen to these two commands that he gives in verse 10 and verses 11 and 13. He says, be strong in. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then verse 11, and he says it similarly in verse 13. He says, put on or take up the whole armor of God. You see, as he says that, what he is saying is this. We are fighting from the victory that has been won at the cross and through the resurrection. We are not fighting in order to gain the victory. Jesus has already won the victory, and we are fighting from the perspective of his having already won the victory over sin, hell, the de death, Satan, and everything else opposed to God. He has already won the victory. Can we get that in our hearts this morning? We are in him who has already conquered all the opposition to God. Do you believe that this morning? We live in him if we're saved. And he lives in us. And so the purpose that Paul is saying here when you begin to put the armor on is put it on with this understanding. We are putting on an attitude, a realization an understanding that God has already won the victory through his son at the cross. And we, his people, stand in his power, in his authority, in Christ himself. And from that perspective, Paul will begin to show us what the pieces of armor are. But we have to make sure that we are in the right place and we understand the right power to, uh, to have the victory in order to put this armor on and to keep it on properly. So why put on the armor? Why? What's the purpose of it? Well, Paul explains the result. If we will do this God's way, if we will do it, here's the result. Verses 11, 12, and 13. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes, the tactics, or the wiles, as King James puts it, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, he's already said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We just read that. But against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. Therefore, because of our adversaries, therefore, take up 
the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, having taken it up and standing and obeying God, we will be able to stand firm. So that's some general instructions. Since everything we're going to talk about is within this context, we do it within the understanding in the Lord. If you ever try to combat the enemy, if you ever try to deal with your circumstances and those trials and difficulties that come against you in your own flesh, how many of us have actually tried to do that and we got in more trouble than, right? We can't do it. Can we be convinced today that we in ourselves alone within the context of our own abilities and power, we cannot do it? We must be armed with the very might of God himself. So let's talk about readiness for the, quote, normal days, verses 14 and 15. How to get ready for normal activities and normal brokenness and normal problems. How to do that? Because, you see, Paul is going to divide this into two sections, 14 and 15. For the normal everyday problems, we have enough of those how many of you have ever said, look, I have enough problems. I don't need any more. I don't need any more, Lord. Trust me. I don't need any more. I love you enough. I trust you enough. I don't need any more testing. <laughs> and then in 16 and 17, he's going to talk about those more personal severe attacks. But first, the normal days. How ready are we to face the normal challenges of life? Just the normal things, the things that come our way every day. You see, because one of the primary reasons we are being overcome when the severe attacks occur is that we are not preparing ourselves and understanding how to resist and deal effectively with just the normal, everyday kind of minimal problems. And if we don't get this right, we can't go further. What about the challenges of life every day? Your financial. People having financial challenges today. There are folks in this room. You're having challenges. How are you going to face this? In this challenge, God wants to refine you. In this challenge, Satan wants to undermine you. What about the challenge of your, your, your physical, uh, your sicknesses, illnesses, diseases? God wants to use this as a refining. Satan wants to use this to debilitate, to weaken you. What about marriage and family issues? God wants to use these issues to refine. Satan wants to use these issues to destroy. We can go down the line, down the line. Whatever the issue is, it doesn't matter what the issue is. There are two competing purposes here. And we have to decide between the two. And we do regularly decide between the two in our response. And too often, if you're like I am, you get impatient, you get angry, you get frustrated. I'm deciding for Satan. Rather than going to the Lord and submitting myself and asking, Lord, what are you telling me here? And may I open my heart more to you? Would you show me any areas in my life that need to be dealt with as you are revealing my need to me during this trial, I have a choice. I can go one way or the other. 
I think if we would ask how many of us have gone the wrong way in the last week, a whole lot of us would say, yes, we went the wrong way. Well, it's time not to do that any longer. But that the household of God may be ready for just the normal problems of the day. So in verses 14 to 15, Paul lists three pieces of armor that pertain to our everyday issues. He says this, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So these are three pieces of armor, if you would, that pertain to our mind, our thinking, feelings, emotions that pertain to I've forgotten the second one. To our heart, our heart issue, and that pertain to the daily walk. Because see, if Satan can mess in these three areas, we have no hope to overcome him and to resist him in the more important areas of attack. These are the fundamental things of everyday life. These are the pieces of armor that we keep on all the time. Obviously, Paul is talking about a soldier. And a soldier wears these three pieces of armor regularly. He doesn't always carry his sword and his, you know, shield and have the helmet on when they're relaxing and there's no attack or whatever. But they must keep this other stuff on in order to be ready at an instant. So this is our daily readiness, if you would. The belt of truth. Verse 14, the belt of truth. Every scheme or attack of Satan has one target in mind. May I repeat that? Because you see, we think that when Satan is attacking, when things are happening, we're not sure what's really the target. What is going on here? What is the purpose of the enemy? Well, let me make it very clear and simple this morning. Every tactic of Satan, every sin that we commit has one target, just one, the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because all the glory of God is contained and fulfilled and displayed in His Son. Everything that Satan does has to do with attacking the person, our understanding of the person and the work of Christ, unsettling that, disturbing that, questioning that. I mean, how many of us, even during the normal occasions of life, when things are not going that well, how many of us actually begin to wonder, I wonder about if God really if Jesus really, anybody ever think these ways? Do thoughts come into your mind like that? Yes, they do. Yes. Who's whispering to you? Satan is saying, do you see this? Do you see that? Well, if, if God were really, if Jesus had done, if God, there's that question most basically about this central truth. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. God the Son, having become a man, 
having gone to the cross to bear all our sin under the wrath of God which we deserved. And having paid it in full, he died. It is finished, it's paid for. And then having risen from the dead three days later in order to send the Holy Spirit into this world to gather God's people, to forgive them and bring them into the family of God. This is the person and work of Christ that in some way he wants to disturb in our lives. So he's constantly looking for ways to undermine our faith and confidence. And this is why we need this belt. This belt was something that the soldier put on before he put the breastplate on and all the other stuff. He had loose clothing, you know, so he had to tighten down his clothing, get it all tightened down. Can you imagine someone coming up here and my shirt sticking out and this and that and the other thing? Say, what is wrong with that man? We wear these things in order to cause us to be able to function, maneuver, a whole lot better than if we were just flowing with all this stuff hanging on over us. Can you imagine a soldier trying to fight in all of his robes and his clothing in his way? Put on the belt. Gather up. What is he talking about? Gather up your mind. Settle the matter. Settle the matter. No matter what is happening in life, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory who saves and keeps us saved. Settle the matter in your mind, amen? Can we settle the matter that every time the enemy comes and whispers into my ear a question about the person and work of Christ, we say you are a liar? Can we settle the matter? Because if the truth isn't settled in us, everything else will cave in. And the truth of everything has to do with the person, the glorious Divine Son of God as a man, going to the cross and rising again for us. Everything. Can we settle the matter this morning? And the next time he enemy begins to pound on you, say, you may pound all you want, but this is one thing I will not let loose on. I will keep my mind girded and guarded and tightened down and I will not let my mind and my thoughts be loose in this area. I will trust the truth because it is the truth. Verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. You see, life is filled with opportunities to capture our hearts. You know, the heart in the Bible is the seat of the affections, the feelings, and the emotions. Any opportunities this week in your household, in your mind, in your personal walk with God that was an opportunity to capture something of your affection, your desire, something to touch your feeling or emotion this week in a way that Satan can use it to damage. Can we remember these things? Oh, I remember that. That's what that was about. I never thought of that. I didn't know that that was happening. Our affections, our desires, our emotions, our feelings. You see, when this happens, our faith is vulnerable to damage. It's like 
leaving your windows open at night when there's a predator in the neighborhood. My God, I wouldn't do that. But we're leaving the windows of our hearts open. You see, our hearts need to be protected. So the shield of the, sorry, the breastplate of righteousness was that big old thing that they wore over the thorax or the main part of the body, you know, from shoulder all the way down the waist. That's what they wore. You've seen enough movies, haven't you? And they wore this breastplate. And it protected against these arrows and spears from penetrating the vital organs. Their heart had to be protected. I mean, if you stab the guy in the heart, he's no good anymore. How many of us have ever been misled or confused or unsettled by feelings and by feelings and emotions? We link things. Oh, I know that. I know she does. He does. And we let our feelings and our emotions and all of this stuff begin to ride away. And some of you are not old enough for this, but you remember years ago we used to watch, we go to the movie on Saturday. And it was called cereals. How many of you remember the cereals? All the old people. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. And cereal isn't something you ate. It was something we watched for the younger people. <laughs> I was making sure Carly knew that because Carly may be hungry in a few minutes. And you had the bad guy and the good guy, you know, and they're fighting it all. And all of a sudden, the good guy's on the stagecoach, and you're running toward the cliff. And he's in it. We got to come back next week and watch what happened. And every week, they'd have a continuation of the serial. You remember this? Yeah, I haven't thought about that in 80 years. And sure enough, the stagecoach went over, but what they didn't show was the good guy jumped out before it went over. And you see, we didn't see that. Our feelings and our emotions are like a runaway stage. And there is someone out there who desires for us, our faith, to go over the cliff because we are allowing. May I use that word again? We are allowing. May I say it one more time? We are what? allowing our feelings and our emotions and all of this stuff to be more real to us than our righteousness in Christ and what God has done and what he is continuing to do and his presence and his promise and his power. We're allowing this stuff to lead us over the cliff. Paul said, put on the breastplate of righteousness when this kind of thing happens. Remember, God in Christ has made us to be the very righteousness of his son. He has given us the righteousness of his son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. That we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And these things begin to happen and we begin to question, am I righteous? <clears throat> have I lost something? The enemy wants to undermine and confuse and debilitate us. You see, every one of our feelings, all of our feelings need to be filtered through this truth. You're right. I don't always and maybe too often act righteously. My wife can tell you that. 
But that don't mean that I have not been declared by God to be righteous in his sight. Oh, yes. I can do, say, think, whatever, some unrighteous stuff. Anybody else? But that don't mean that I don't have on the righteousness of Christ as the breastplate to protect what God is doing in my heart. Let the enemy attack. He cannot unsettle this and take off this breastplate unless I just say, do what you need to do. I'm just helpless and I can't resist to. I'm just a person. When he comes against you, Raise your voice. Stomp on the ground. Do whatever you need to do. But we have been clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Either it is true or it is not. And God says it's true. Therefore, in spite of my feelings and my emotions to the contrary, I am a man of righteousness. Can you say amen, amen. about yourself and about us together? The shoes of the gospel, verse 15. You see, sometimes have we noticed that life has sudden turns. Now, I can't do it like Curtis Allen. How can a man that big move that fast? He thought he was slim, remember? Sometimes life has sudden turns. Anybody thought that we were going this way, and before you blink, we're going another way? Has that ever happened to anybody at all? I thought we were going there, and we're going here. You see, not only does it have sudden turns, but life is slippery. Life has some pretty bad angles to it, slopes to it. Giving us the opportunity to cause our walk as believers to be thrown off, to fall down in our faith. And, and every time this happens, the enemy is there to take advantage. Da, 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 da. So what do we need? We need the kinds of footwear, uh, shoes, I think they call them, <laughs> sandals to prevent this. And so without going into details, you know, the soldier's foot had these little spikes in them. Why spikes? Because when he's maneuvering or whatever, he needed to have stability to stand, maneuverability. He needed to be able to do what he needed to do on various types of terrain in order not to fall down. You can imagine, whoops, could you excuse me a moment, let me get up and get myself, but now we can go back together. He needed to have these shoes in order that he was stable on his feet. His walk, his maneuverability, his stability had to be protected by these shoes. We need spiritual shoes. Our walk is the way that physically and openly we demonstrate our God's ability. What would you say about a Christian that every time something happens, that person caved in and was overcome and was washed out? Well, what kind of a testimony is that? We need to have our feet grounded by and in the gospel. We need to have our feet grounded, wrapped around by and in the gospel. 
Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This pertains to our walk. It will keep us from slipping and sliding during the battle. Have you noticed that you slip and slide? Anybody slip and slide around here? <clears throat> Thank you for the hands. Anybody slip and slide? Whoop! And so when this happens, I need to know my, my shoes are not fastened well enough or something's wrong with them the way I have put them on. So I remind myself of the gospel, remind myself of what God has done, remind myself who Christ is in me and who I am in Christ, his purpose, his power. So Satan can't take advantage during these kinds of opportunities. You see, as soldiers of Christ, we need to walk in the knowledge and in the practice of the gospel. If you're not walking in the practice of the gospel, you and I cannot say that we have the gospel. Having the gospel means that we will walk in the gospel. Well, that's just the normal things of life. Life has enough difficulties under normal circumstances. As I said, I don't need any more tests and trials than I get during a normal day. I don't know how you feel, but I just don't need any more, Luke. I, I, I have enough. Thank you, Jesus. I don't need any more refining. Anybody think that way? I just don't want to be refined right now. just want to be left alone. I want everything to go well. Well, what about verses 16 to 17 when he begins to talk about these three pieces of armor to take up or to put on or to take hold of? You see, these three pieces are the preparation and the defense and weaponry against severe attacks. The first three is everyday life. Doesn't mean that you'll never raise a shield against the devil. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that. But there are times when we had better have these three pieces of armor ready and ready to go. Hopefully we have been foundation in our mind, our heart, and our walk to be able to pick up these next three and to be able to use them effectively. The shield of faith, verse 16. You know, you're having a good day. How many of you want to have a good day, right? We want to have a good day. But we're spooky. We believe in voodoo. Ooh, if I have a good day, something may go wrong. Nobody ever thought that? I'm the only one who's ever thought that. So you're having a good day. And suddenly you experience a rush of thoughts on mental movies. I'm just minding my own business. I'm doing normal, everyday, good things. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm worshiping God. I'm witnessing. And in the midst of this, all kinds of thoughts 
preoccupations, reminders of things I need to do, I didn't do, I better do, I'm in trouble because I haven't. All of this is rushing in on me all of a sudden. You're spending a wonderful time with a friend or a loved one. And all of a sudden, an explosion. And you're trying to figure out two minutes later, what happened? Is this real to anybody? Is anybody out there? Do things like this happen to you, or is it just to me? Am I weird? I know I'm weird, but, but, but you know, <laughs> but am I the only one that all of a sudden, <clears throat> all of a sudden, where did all these arrows come from? <clears throat> where did all these spears come from? I wasn't doing anything to make them come. I was being good. I was praying. I was being kind. I was obedient to God. Where did it come from? Why? Where did it come from? The arch, archer, Satan. He gets you to relax, to feel good about something, to feel comfortable. And that's fine. Settle down. Maybe your guard is off a little bit. And he gets you. All of us have been here. All of us have. What's happening? We're under the attack of an abundance of arrows from every direction. Well, when you looked at the movies, you probably saw that when the arrows are coming in, what did the soldier do? He put up the shield, this great big old shield that covered his whole body, and he put it up again, and the arrows would hit the shield. Do you remember that? So what are we to do? In this kind of a circumstance, we need to do what the apostle says. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all these flaming darts of the evil one. You see, because these arrows and spears which come in abundance and from many directions at once are intended to inflame our passions and emotions. This is just not the normal kinds of things that happen in life, but all of a sudden, a rush upon us. And when... The world's going on with, am I crazy? Anybody ever thought you were crazy? I mean, I thought that before. Am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Certainly the devil wants you to think that. You see, when this happens, we must take up the shield of faith. Well, who is our shield of faith? Genesis 15, 1, the Lord tells Abraham, I am your shield. Christ himself is our living faith. And during these attacks, we must call upon him by faith, asking him to intervene and protect our hearts from being penetrated by Satan's arrows. Lord, I'm under severe attack. I think one of the reasons why we hesitate to call upon Jesus at that time 
is because some way we assume that the thoughts and mental movies that are inside these heads of ours originated where? With me. They originated with Satan. They're not my thoughts. These are arrows and spears hurled at me in order to inflame, to catch me on fire, to cause me to think, you see how nasty you are? See how wicked you are and you call yourself a believer? (laughs) And we begin to question that because, well, of course, where's the thought? It's not out there. Where is it? It's in here. And it's normal to think, hey, this is my thought. These are enemies. Thoughts, words, suggestions. So now that we know where these things originate, we can, even if they are my thoughts, we can and should call upon the name of the Lord who has forgiven us who has accepted us, who cares for us, who loves us, who knew these things were coming before he saved us. And we call upon him to intervene and to shield us from not the arrows coming, but from the arrows penetrating. Don't ever ask God to stop the attacks necessarily unless you had that direction from the Holy Spirit. Attacks are going to come. What we need is to be protected from these attacks, from harming us spiritually and maybe in any other way. What about the helmet of salvation, verse 17? Oh, man, this thing is hopeless. I'll never get through it. I thought it was conquered. I I thought I had a handle on this. I I didn't think I would act that way anymore. I didn't think I would say that anymore. I didn't think I would think these things anymore. What's happening? It's hopeless. I'm never going to get through this. What in the world is going to happen to me? I don't even know. I'm not sure if I'm even saved. Do you hear the enemy manipulating and moving the foundation of your faith to a place where it begins to be slippery and sliding? And the hope is being attacked. So you take up the helmet of salvation. It is our protection, the hope of our salvation, that protects our hope during these attacks, giving us the assurance of victory during the attacks. You know, I have to know that in the midst of the attack, God's power is great enough for me to take a hold of and to cooperate with that I will experience the victory that Christ has already won and given to me. I have to know that. If I lose hope, boy, this thing is going under fast. I don't want to lose hope. I'm not going to lose hope. I must remember what the Lord has done in my salvation. And remember, as I take up Christ, I have the hope of victory in Jesus Christ. And I will have the victory. Don't you say, I'm going to try. I hope to get the victory. 
I will in Christ because of his purpose, because of his promise, I will in Christ by faith experience the victory. I'm going to do it. Why, because Peter Davidson's so great? No, because there is a great God who lives in this old man. And he has promised to do it. If I will take up this armor that he's given to me. We must set our minds on Christ who has won the victory. He's won the victory over sin, Satan, and the grave. Remember Romans 8.31, Paul says this. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> who is Satan and what are his abilities compared to the God of glory who lives in us? Oh, Satan should be very carefully considered. He ain't no wimp. And he's a tireless adversary. But when compared to our God, there ain't no contest. Do you believe this? Well, then we need to live it. Because in the midst of what's going on in our lives, so often we don't believe that. Oh, things are happening. But my God is greater, and I will take hold of him. And the implements and the armor that he has provided. And let the enemy come, because what he's going to find in us is a people who will battle the hell out of him. And won the victory that has already been won. And have the victory that's already been won. Sword of the Spirit, verse 17. Satan's going to attack us with his words. Remember, I said our thoughts. We're going to hear all kinds of thoughts, suggestions. And when these come, what he's trying to do here. It's to cause us to question God's goodness and ability. And he wants to take our minds off Christ and begin to engage us in conversation. Now, you know, when Satan begins to engage us in conversation, we are not to converse with him the way he wants us to. We are to converse with him the way Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. And when Satan began to speak to Jesus, Jesus cut through the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Using what? The Word of God. Well, Jesus, you hungry, huh? Yeah. Why don't you make some bread out of these stones there? Hmm. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8. Oh, that's where it is. Deuteronomy 8. Man, it is written. It is written. The Scripture, the Word of God says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but he shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth 
of God. Why don't we go up to the temple, the real high place? You, know, you throw yourself down, and you, the angel's going to not, not even let you hurt your tooties. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He quotes, all these kingdoms, look at all this stuff I'm going to give to you. Just think, you can have it all. Just bow down to me. Thou shalt worship the Lord, and him alone you shall worship. Every time he comes back with the scripture, when Satan begins to give you thoughts, considerations, you and I must battle them with a sword. Now, unfortunately, and here's a real, it's going to sound funny, but I don't mean to be funny, but it's going to sound funny. But this is serious. I'm not up here to entertain. When we think we're pulling out a sword, all we got is a little pen knife. And you wonder why Satan is having such success in your life when he has a huge sword and you got a little pen knife trying to deal with him? What am I talking about? Our sword grows in length and strength and sharpness as we read, as we submit to, as we study, as we consider, as we obey the Word of God. You cannot go into battle with a little penknife, and the guy across from you has an eight-foot sword. I should have read my Bible. <laughs> now, hopefully, God will be merciful to you. But the reason the enemy's having such a heyday in so many lies is you don't know the word well enough to challenge his lies, to cut through the deception. He wants to chain your mind in lies, and the only way to break the chain is to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, wield it against the lies. And break the chains. Jesus told him in 831 and 832 of John, if you abide in me and my word abide in you. You see, we forget the first part of the verse. Then you shall know the what? Truth, and the truth will set you. Well, don't ever quote the second part without the first part. Because the second part is the explanation of the first part. If you abide in me. And my what abide in you? My word. We need to take the sword of the Spirit. You see, only God's word can penetrate and cut through Satan's lies and freeing our minds of any confusion and doubt. Only the word of God. Not your philosophy, not your education, not your debates. Don't debate him. Fight him with the word. And cut through the lies that he's telling you with the Word of God. Quote the Word of God to him and to yourself. Take up the sword. And if you take it out and it's only a little pen knife, then go do something over the next several days to begin to get some kind of a sword in this sheath. You see, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we are destroying arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive, ready to, uh, to uh, punish every disobedience. How? No, Satan, you can't do that. No, no. You have to know the Word of God. 
You see, this is what happened. Jesus did it this way. Verse 18, with prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit. We're not going to spend any time on this because it's too voluminous and material information but I will say a couple of things each piece of armor that we've discussed this morning must be put on in faith through prayer and must be maintained in faith through prayer you see the whole issue be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might in the strength of his armor in the strength of his abilities in the strength of his work. Faith-filled and dependent prayer must be the very atmosphere and the continuing attitude of the soldier of Christ. What does our prayer life look like? Well, I pray all day. Well, thanks, thanks be to God you pray all day. But every one of us should have a particular time during the day, morning, afternoon, evening, where we shut ourselves away with God for several minutes, several whatever length of time it is, and go to God in prayer. Praying all day long while you're doing that's great. But it does not take the place of that personal prayer life with God. If you're not doing it, you're not going to be able to put on and maintain the armor properly. It's going to fall off. You're going to drop your sword. Your shield is going to be whatever. It has to be done in prayer. Prayer is the actual mechanism that all of this functions in. As spiritual soldiers, our prayer life is to be spiritual nutrition. And it's our spiritual exercise, giving us the strength and the ability to effectively put on and use all the armor against the attacks of the enemy. Let me conclude with these verses. Do we have them on the screen or not? <clears throat> Luke 8, do we have that up there? Turn to Luke 8, 22 to 25. Luke 8, 22 to 25. I just felt the Lord wanted me to share this in closing. This is kind of a microcosm, I think, of our life. One day, Jesus got into a boat with the disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. We're in the boat with Jesus. Are you in the boat with Jesus? We're in the boat. This is a boat. We're in the boat. Jesus is there. He's called us into the boat. This is the boat of salvation. He says what? We're going to do what? What did he say? We will get to the other side. <laughs> now, once that happens, there is an enemy who says, oh, yeah. Yeah. You ain't getting nowhere, sister. You're going under. The boat's going to leak. We're going to hit a reef. You're dying. As they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. They'd just taken a boat ride across the lake. <laughs> What's going on? 
Is this your life, my life from time to time? And they went and woke Jesus up, and they were, and they were feeling, sorry, and then windstorm came up, and they were filling with water and were in danger. The enemy is beginning to sink. Their faith, the boat is going under. And they went and woke Jesus up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Or as one says, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind. He actually says, he said, be muzzled. Put a clamp on it. And the raging waves ceased, and the storm was calm. And he said, where's your faith? You see, they were walking with Jesus in a normal way. Their minds and their hearts and their walk were with Jesus on a regular daily basis. But when they encountered this great attack, they called on Jesus to shield them from the storm. They knew they needed shielding. They placed their hope in him. Wake up, save us. And as a result, Jesus spoke the word, the sword of the Spirit. And the storm was calmed. And they got to the other side. What is the result when we take up the full armor of God? Romans 8, 39. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's be a church. I ain't being kicked around no more. I'm going to kick back and watch the enemy take the fall. Amen? God, oh great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart, own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel let no vice or sin remain, that resists your
had talked about him sharing this word with the church probably a few weeks ago. And I was eager for him to share it because I, I felt like there was a number of folks in a category of spiritual warfare in their lives without fighting in a manner that you need to fight. Everything in your life is not natural. All the things you face in your life are not just natural things that you can fight with natural abilities. And I, I, want, to, I want us to pray for some folks before we dismiss this morning. You know, the folks who understand the Roman culture and the Roman garb for battle that was worn say that there were aspects of the armor that you needed help with putting on. It was part of the armor you could put on, but there was part of the armor that you were going to need somebody to help you put it on. I think there's a realm of prayer in what was mentioned in these passages that both have to do with us praying, but also people praying for us to put these things on. Now, I, I don't know if I know all the categories to highlight for you of where the warfare is taking place, that it's a supernatural warfare. It's an unusual warfare. It's, it's the enemy ratcheting things up a bit in your life. It's not normal. And you would say right now, I'm here this morning and I am walking through something and I have been walking through something that is exceedingly heavy. All right, well, it may not just be a natural thing you're bumping into. You, you may need to strap on some armor and be ready to wield a sword and to stand and fight for your life. You may need some people to pray with you. You may need some people this morning to pray with you. Now, I'm going to hit one particular area. I'm going to do this because I'm, I've been pastoring almost 20 years now. I don't remember a season where I've seen more marriages unraveling than I have seen in the last year or two. I don't know how many hours I have spent doing uh, marriage counseling with couples. I, I don't even begin to imagine how many hours that's been over the last 20 years. I think I could add up the last 18 years and say, I have heard the word divorce mentioned more times in the last two years than I have in the last 18 combined. Marriages are under attack. And maybe your marriage is under attack. Maybe you're here this morning in a very demotivated relationship where you just don't feel like putting anything into this. You don't have faith for the future. This is never going to change. This guy, that woman, this will never be different. And you've begun to flirt with the idea that this is unfixable. At best, you'll tolerate this, but you're beginning to think about how to get out. Have you thought for a moment, you are under attack? wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not just the person you're married to. There may be some real issues for you to deal through, but do you recognize